0: The field of 68, field of 68 till I die. <laughs> you got somebody, hey Jeff, shut up. Hell no. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out for a second. <laughs> this is Alabama coach Nate Oates. We're not playing. I watch field of sixty-eight after dark show. This is coach Bruce Pearl. I love the
1: field of sixty-eight after dark
2: show. This is Duke head coach John Shire. Check out field of 68 after dark.
3: This is Xavier head coach Sean Miller. I highly encourage you to take a look at after dark. Now
4: listen to you guys every morning when I'm getting ready. This is Field of 68 After Dark.
5: These are the nights you live for in the college basketball marathon. My goodness, folks, do we have a show for you tonight on the Field of 68 After Dark. John Fanta, Chris Mack, Laval Jordan with you on this Wednesday, February the 15th. We have a ton to get to over the next hour. Number one, Alabama goes down to Tennessee, plus a wild one, a one point game between Marquette and Xavier. The Golden Eagles go to 13 and three in the Big East. We'll welcome in their head coach, Shaka Smart. But we begin tonight with a game that literally just went final. Boo Booey with a game winner. The Northwestern Wildcats beat Indiana 64 to 62. Booey, who has stuck the course with Northwestern basketball, comes up as the hero. And the cats are in second place by themselves in the Big Ten. Chris Mack, your instant reaction to a wild one in Evanston.
6: Wild one, John. The uh, the tale of two halves. You know, it, obviously, just disappointing for Indiana. You know, after the, their second half comeback, their charge, be able to tie it up there right at the end, and, and Northwestern gets the last shot with Boo Booey. I mean. I thought their their prescription in the first half for Trace Jackson Davis, doubling him immediately, um, it wasn't as if he was having a bad game. He, he couldn't get a shot off. And um, they, they sort of found their groove in the second half. We talked off air, John, some of the passes that he made. Uh, obviously, the threes and the jump shots that Indiana hit to begin the second half and just sort of storm back to within eight or ten sort of lended you the idea that it was going to be a game. But – give Northwestern credit. So many times when a team just comes roaring back, you know, you can't find the confidence to finish the job. And, and they certainly did, man. That that game was wild.
2: What a week for Northwestern, huh? Huge. You know, what's impressive, Chris, is what you just said. Their, res- their response, like when you Northwestern, you know, obviously this is their fourth ranked win or fourth win over a ranked opponent, which is, a program record yep. and uh, for them to respond like they've been there before tonight. I mean, you've had really good teams and really big leads and teams come charging back. You, you have to have some resolve. Your players got to have some confidence to respond to the way they did to hold off the run and and finish the job. So credit the Indiana for getting back in the game, but I mean, Northwestern, they believe they're supposed to win these games now
6: it's a hard place to play all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you go back to Saturday's or Sunday's game against Purdue and, you know, Purdue, I I felt like really had that game in the bag the entire way until the last four minutes. And then tonight the script is completely flipped, you know, and, and, you know, I, I just think that, you know, Indiana was on the ropes the entire first half looked like it wasn't even going to be a game. And then for them to have the wherewithal to, to come all the way back, tie the, tie the basketball game up, but Northwestern still win. It That's an amazing win for them.
5: So here's the thing. You guys have been in the business. You've been in the industry. And you know when pundits are talking about teams and, oh, I'm still betting on them in March and all this stuff. And, Mac, I know I know all too well uh, when we've been talking during the season and you were coaching, you'd say, yeah, but this is what the record really is. Here's the deal, fellas. Northwestern's 19-7. and seven. Yeah. They've won seven of their last nine. They've won four in a row. Illinois lost to Penn State last night. I'm not saying it's easy to play Penn State. I'm not suggesting that at all. But Northwestern's beaten Purdue and they've beaten Indiana in the span of four nights. Yeah. The Northwestern Wildcats are not only in second place in the Big Ten, but right now they're the second best team in the Big Ten. Far none.
2: No, they're good, John. That's their, I think that's their seventh quad one victory on the season. Like, let's like, let's stop acting like they're like, they're good. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? credit to credit to the administration for staying with Chris Collins, you know, through post COVID and, and and continuing to believe yeah, obviously, I mean, it, it, everybody has to be uh, together and connected on here's how we're going to do it. And, and, and believing it's going to work, um, you know, even though he had a couple a down year or two.
6: I tell you what, I just I really like watching Northwestern play. They uh they run really good stuff. You know, I think that their players make the right play on the offensive end. Obviously, Boo booey uh, you know, big time confidence in, in big moments. That shot at the end, you know, he got knocked off a little bit off balance. And for him to be able to again hit a four foot floater to win the game after they had given up that you know, lead, Uh, that's not easy thing to do. And, you know, Val, you've been there before, man, you're that coach. And then all of a sudden that game goes to overtime and, you know, you've lost that lead sort of hard to get your players to believe in, Hey, we're we're fine kind of thing. Cause they were out on the floor and and felt what they just felt. So uh, again, said it a a ton, but continue to say what a, what a night for Northwestern. What a great
2: couple games. Yeah. They were up 20. Give it, give credit to Chris Lowry, Mac. You, you've, I don't know if you ever, did you ever coach yep. against Chris in the Southern Illinois? I mean, yep. heck of a ball coach. He's come in and, and and Chris Collins has allowed him to take over their defense and, like, they are active. They are physical. You know, they're post-traps and, yep. and what they did against Purdue, what they did tonight against Tra- Trace Jackson Davis. Like, CeeLo is, you know, Chris has kind of given them the defense. Yep. I know he's been a disciple of Bruce Weber and he's had that forever, yep. but, like, they are guarding their tails off
5: along those lines here a a thought that comes to mind Mac I'll start with you on this how do you as a head coach stay true to who you are while also recognizing things that maybe you could be better at and surrounding yourself with people that could enhance those areas
6: yeah I mean I I think that one of the best pieces of advice that I got when uh, when I first became a head coach uh, was from a mentor of mine when I was an assistant coach at Wake Forest, and he's very, very involved in the program. He said, you know, and he's a CEO, and the best CEOs, he said, uh, aren't the smartest people in the room. You know, they don't try to be. You know, they try to surround themselves with, you know, people that complement them, uh, people that that are stronger in certain areas. And, you know, Val mentioned it before, Chris Lowry, um the hell of a coach specifically on the defensive end i remember some of those missouri valley games where they'd hold teams to 35 and 38 points i mean it it was ferocious and he honestly that i think the end of his coaching career as a head coach there at southern illinois was tough because he had a mass exodus of players but man when he had his full complement of guys uh no nobody was better than him on the defensive end. And and you can see that with Northwestern. They're a completely different defensive team. But, I, I you know, you credit Chris Collins. I mean, he, we all want to win as head coaches. And I don't really care who gets the credit, just as you always preach to your team, you know, why shouldn't that be part of your staff? And so a uh, great win for him.
5: Hmm. Let's turn to the top story in college basketball tonight. Number one goes down. Alabama entered the evening at 12-0 in the SEC. 12-0 start to conference play for the first time since 1955-56 for the Crimson Tide. At some point, they were going to drop a game, and this was the most likely chance for that to happen. They go into Knoxville against a Volunteers team that had lost 3-4, of Tennessee 68, Alabama 59, Laval. What Does this say more to you? Is this Alabama just due to to lose a game to a very, very good Tennessee team? Or to you, uh, did Tennessee show you something about themselves tonight in being able to take down the top-ranked Tide?
2: Yeah, John, I I think, you know, this time of year is late February, March. You kind of know, and and I don't know if Chris will agree with me, you kind of know who you are, who your team is. Right. Unless you've had injuries and, you know, Arkansas, for instance, Nick Smith trying to get back in the lineup, but but Alabama's been pretty much consistent with their roster, their rotations. So by the time you get here, you, you know who you are. Tennessee knows, you know, uh, I think coach Coach Barnes knows his team and obviously they have to do it on the defensive end and be gritty and physical there, and try to find enough offense to win games. Like I think those things a lot of times are established and now it is, you know, you're going to be in a one or two possession, three, you know, game and you you have to find a way to win. Tennessee was in that and they lost two one possession games, right. You know, at, at the buzzer Um, and they get Alabama at home tonight. And and, um, so I, I don't know if it says, it just says there's two really good teams going at it in conference play. I mean, and it it was a heck of a grind, you know uh, you think of the SEC, you don't think of, of this type of, right. Physical. I mean, it was super physical, uh, on both ends of the court. I thought both defenses were really impressive. I thought Tennessee was just a little more physical, uh, forcing some of those turnovers from Alabama that, that, uh, ultimately, you know, uh, you know, hurt them in the end, uh, for them, because their offense is a strength of theirs. I mean, they're an elite offensive team, but, um, but it was it was a battle. I mean, I think that's is just fun to watch when, when you get two really good teams going at it.
5: Mac, here's my question. Yeah. Did you ever I know the easy answer is well, no, I expect it to win every single game. But like when that conference schedule came out in September and you're looking at it, I mean, as a do you ever just look at something and say, uh, Christ. We ain't going there and winning that particular game. Like I gotta just, I mean, if we win, if we win, I'm playing with house money. I'm playing with house money. But like, I look at that place and in that spot in that game, uh yeah, you know, the, the league had to put us somewhere, had to put us there at some time.
6: No, I to be honest with you, John. Though no. you know, I, I never would look at the schedule and say, hey, that that's that's going to be one we can't get. You know, I, I would look at the schedule um, and just try to see. You know, how many times the league put us on the road in a row? You know, what what is our advantage <laughs> or disadvantage in comparison with preparation time versus the other teams on our schedule? Um, but, you know, it's so fluid. You know, the, the games come at you in a hurry when you get into conference that by the time you play teams a second time around, they know your play calls, you know their play calls. Like Val said, everybody knows uh, each other's identity. Uh, but I also f- think that gives your team great confidence, whether it's you beat them the first time, or maybe if you w- would have done one or two things different, you know, you could have won. And so uh, I-, I never looked at it that way. Um, now I'll say this about the Alabama Tennessee game. Yeah, as crazy as it sounds, and I, I might be way off on this, probably am. I I gained a lot more confidence in Alabama as a team. Like you're not playing the SEC tournament in Thompson Bowling Arena. You're not playing the NCAA tournament on somebody's home floor. And they've got all those freshmen. They had 19 turnovers. They couldn't score. Tennessee can guard anybody at any time. They're they're a hellacious defensive team. But I just think that, like, you know, it it was still it was still a couple possession game down the stretch. And again, right. you got freshmen, and it's like, to me, for Alabama to not hang their head and become a sieve on the defensive end, those freshmen sort of stood up and said, you know what, we're going to try to win a muddy one. And that's not usually what I think of when I think of Alabama. Man, I, I really like Nate Oates' team. That's not to dispute or, you know, dismiss what Coach Barnes and the Volunteers did tonight, because not too many teams have done that to Alabama, certainly not one in the SEC this year.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Oklahoma is like well, Alabama, Chris is right. On both ends, they've been the best team. In conference play, they've been the best on offense and defense. Obviously, they're undefeated heading into tonight. in Tennessee, you know, all around their defense is, is like, you don't want to, it's going to the dentist. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you just don't want, like, who wants to deal with playing against Tennessee and trying to figure out a way to score? Um, the physicality of it I thought the same thing something something in the Oklahoma game the Porter had his team ready and they were extremely physical they got in the space of Alabama took away threes as much as they possibly could but but the physicality of it and when you look up John and say hey Tennessee had 26 points off turnovers and, and a lot of the turnovers weren't necessarily like four it was just they were in your face it was the guy with the ball and a guy on him it it, and he was just in him right and and then 14 second chance points because i thought Tennessee had just they they were trying to find ways to score they just had some timely offensive rebounds tip-ins um yeah missing a couple of their their key players too with that exactly and so it was it was like they were just really physical and and, you know um, now when you get into tournament play, you know, refs call the game different. They, like Chris said, they're at home. So they get to maybe be mm-hmm. a little more physical tonight. Um, but I don't, it doesn't make me think any less of Alabama uh, at all.
5: No, I mean, this is a night where Mark Sears goes one for six from the yeah. floor. Oh, for three from three. He ain't doing that. Uh, when their season's on the line, the NCAA tournament, but you go into that building and, and tonight, Tennessee guarded the hell out of him. I mean, that's the other thing, Chris, uh, one thing you can always say about Rick Barnes led teams is that they are going to guard the hell out of you. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I mean, that Val said it as well as it could be said. I mean, it, they, they pressured so hard that it was sort of difficult for Alabama to even run offense, you know, and then that ball gets squirted away and it becomes points going the other way. So, um, you know, Tennessee is as physical uh, of a defensive team as, as there is. and, you know it's uh it's hard to score against them. It just is, and Alabama found that out tonight. You
5: no, know, Zakai Ziegler goes for 15 points, eight assists in this one. Santiago Vescovi goes for 15, eight rebounds as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the Volunteers because Laval they had lost three of their last four, and they lost twice, not once, but twice at the buzzer last week yeah. <laughs> to to Missouri and Vanderbilt. And so immediately the thought is, okay, well. Man, a couple of heartbreaks. How's this team going to figure it out? Like, LaValle, when, you, when you've when you lost a couple of games, the bounce-back spot being against the number one team in the country, uh, easier said than done. And, and tonight, they dictated the way the game was played.
2: S- certainly, certainly. But, and, but for them, John, you know, when you say, like, hey, let's – how are we going to get back? Like, they got beat at the buzzer. So <laughs> – it's not like they were getting beat fifteen, and we got to go back and and jump in the room as a staff and figure out. You know, there's two possessions in in the game, two three possessions in the game. Um, wait, are they, you
5: both? Wait, hold on. Are you both saying I want? I'm looping back in here too. Would you rather lose on back to back buzzer beaters, or lose by twenty five once?
2: What nobody wants to lose, John. What are you talking about? First of all, if I can take <laughs> one loss versus two, I'm taking one.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so you'll take one ass whooping over two buzzer beaters.
2: Who hasn't gotten their ass kicked? Yeah, you got to have one of those. I mean, Chris, right? Like, I mean, unless you have a – not nah, even in, in a great year. Like, hey,
6: Alabama you, got their ass kicked.
2: Okay, you Alabama know? to Oklahoma. Like, you just have one game where it's just like, you know what?
6: It's not our day
2: ball up that box score, throw it away, and let's let's go back to practice. Um, but, you know, for them, it wasn't like a a, a ton of things to correct. You, you got beat at the buzzer twice, you know, offensive possession here or there, you know, whatever defensive – everybody's sticking to the game plan. And I thought they did a, a tremendous job of that against Alabama, taking away the threes in the way that they did. You know, Alabama shoots, uh, you know, they may not end up making nine threes. Tennessee played some zone just to change it up to try to disrupt that offense. But, but that, you know, it was more just getting their identity. You know, I thought the offensive rebounds were key. It's like, hey, we're going to have to crash the glass hard. You know, maybe it's something they should have done in a, in the game before just to steal a possession or two um, when you're getting beat, you know, in a one possession, two possession game.
6: I, I also think that, you know, you lose two heartbreakers like that. I think Tennessee has a perfect coach. You know, in in that type of uh, in that type of moment, you know, Rick Barnes is not going to get overly emotional. He's not going to get his guys so far uh, on edge that they come out and they play tight. You know, he just has a really good way uh, of relating to the players, of of believing in those guys and believing in his system. And so I, I think that, like, uh, whereas a lesser coach you know, might have a little bit of panic in his guys. That, that's not going to be a Rick Barnes coach team. And I think you saw that tonight.
5: Hey, this is the Field of 68 After Dark, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome, everybody, on Sirius XM College Channel 84. To all of you who just listened to Iowa State, BTCU TCU in a big 12 top 25 showdown Cyclones win 70 to 59. I know both you guys were tracking at Laval before we get to a break. Here's this Iowa state team. They win this game by 11 in commanding fashion. And you think about what they were able to do tonight. Uh, you, sometimes you don't know where offense is going to come from with this Iowa state team tonight. It was Aljaz Kunk, the senior from Slovenia, who comes up with a big game? Twenty-two points. He knocked down five threes, and we know Jaron Holmes has had a great year for them. He had sixteen points. The Cyclones they get on track and they beat TCU by eleven. A reaction to what happened in
2: Ames. That was interesting, Jack, because it was kind of out of body for for Iowa State. They put they put points on the board tonight, right? Yeah. I mean, they've been their defense looked. I mean, they forced eighteen turnover or fourteen turnovers. Like their defense is what's carried them up to this point. TJ's done a phenomenal job. Their post trap, their aggression, the no middle, yeah, the way that they keep you on the side of the floor, and uh, it's hard to run offense against them. But tonight, you know, they they found they got some things going offensively uh, against TCU, who plays aggressive, plays fast, and and so I thought, and and this is crazy. I think they said this during the broadcast, right? Every team in the Big Twelve at some point, Chris, has lost three in a row, including Kansas except it's for nuts. Iowa State and, and Texas. And so it's like when you get in the league play, man, like you have to be able to recover and respond. You, yeah. You're going to take some hits. And, and I think- you know,
6: I, I think that you're certainly right on the mark when you talk about Iowa State's defense, you know, what TJ has done with that squad, because I'm not a big believer that they have a ton of talent. And, you know, that they're, they're playing tonight a, a team that's reeling a little bit because Mike Miles isn't playing. You know, they've lost four in a row now. Again, sort of indicative of the Big 12. The Big 12 is so hard. And when you lose, you know, your best player and the guy that's really put your program on the map the last few years, man, that's hard. And you're going in probably the hardest place to play in the Big 12. But I give Iowa State all the credit in the world. I feel like they got a tremendous defensive system. They play to it. I worry about those guys long term because I just don't think they can score. We'll talk more about the Big
5: 12 coming up on the show tonight, and we've got the latest chapter in what has been a wild few months for one Chris Speard. We'll talk about that as well, but up next, we get into the Big East, a heavyweight showdown in Milwaukee tonight between Xavier and Marquette. The Golden Eagles took it in dramatic fashion. We'll welcome in Shaka Smart and talk about Marquette's rise as a program. All that and more ahead on the field of 68 After Dark, Sirius XM. All right, let's welcome in producer Dakin Hughes. Dakin, good evening.
4: Hello. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Good. All right, let's see. Brady Brady, Brady dropped three questions in the chat, but two of them we're already going to talk about. He wants to know about Marquette, we're going to talk about them next. He wants to know about Kentucky, we're also going to talk about them here coming up. Uh, one team we aren't going to get to tonight. Uh, are you concerned with how Virginia played against Louisville tonight?
5: I'm not concerned about not.
6: that. No. Virginia's style of play lends itself to, to playing close games. It just does.
2: I was thinking the exact same thing, Chris. Like, they don't blow people out. They just beat you.
6: <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, thought, I thought Louisville played their asses off tonight. But at the same time, you know, Virginia's not going to – Uh, beat anybody 85 to 40 they just they don't play that way and so um you know they can squeeze the life out of you and you can lose 60 to 35 but they're not going to put a lot of points on the board so I I wasn't very surprised
5: no there's nights in your conference there's nights in your conference right where you know you're facing the bottom theater quote-unquote but like just
6: 30 seconds
5: right find a way to win the game
4: exactly it any others Degan? Yeah, quickly if we can get in most improved player in college basketball right now. That's from Austin. It's a bit of a hard one. So (laughs) (laughs) most improved? Yes. Bryce.
2: Ten seconds. Yeah, Bryce Hopkins 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 would be a good one. He was two points a game last year. Here you go. Three, two, Zach (laughs) Eaton.
5: Field of 68 after dark on this Wednesday night, February the 15th. John Fanta, Chris Mack, Laval, Jordan, with you. We're breaking down a huge night across college basketball. But we're presented by Bet Rivers. We are uh, we've got the Field of 68 Daily Newsletter every single morning from Mike Miller and his crew. That you want to you want to check that out to get the latest on college hoops. That will be a very busy Field of 68 Daily tomorrow morning. you got to check out the newsletter, and you got to go to the 68shop Get ready for March Madness, folks. We've got merchandise there. You can head over there for your merch ahead of the big dance. Hey, two teams that are going to be dancing out of the Big East, Marquette and Xavier. Second straight night where we had a Big East heavyweight showdown last night, Providence and Creighton played an epic double overtime thriller. Friars won it. So tonight, it's a chance to Take control of a steering wheel that's been all over the place. Xavier takes a one-point lead. Jack Nunchy comes up clutch in the last 12 seconds. Marquette hits the game-winner, courtesy of Olivier. Maxence, Prosper, final score. Marquette, 69. Xavier, 68. Laval Jordan, the instant takeaway from this one is what?
2: Again, John, conference play... (laughs) You know, these, these two teams are battling for a Big East championship. Xavier's down two guys. Fremantle's out. Desmond Claude didn't make the trip. Um, and so for them to to come out as aggressive as they did, I thought was impressive. They had control of the game, really, the majority of the game. I mean, they they had it. And, uh, you know, so they deserve a ton of credit just for for coming out shorthanded and and being in control of that game. And then Marquette on, on the other end, um, you know, they kept themselves in it. And you're talking the two best offenses in the Big East, two of the best offenses in the country. But I thought Xavier's half-court defense was the reason they were up. Uh, and Marquette didn't really stop him. It was all or nothing. And, and, you know, but they turned them over 17 times and scored 21 points off of it. So they, they kind of hung around, you know, w- with their pressure, you know, the full-court stuff and turning that into points. And, and then they just found it. And I think we were just talking about it. You just like Virginia and Louisville, you're going to be just, if you can find a way to come out on top. I mean, a couple of those biggies games yesterday, double overtime, you're just trying to battle, hang in there and find a way to win it at the end. And and Marquette did that tonight, but it, it was a heck of a basketball game too. Well, I mean, well coached on both sides guys played their tails off, you know, fun game to watch. Yeah. I mean, echo a
6: lot of the same things that Val talked about. You know, I I thought X controlled the game, you know, really 90% of the game, you know, without their, um, you know, two significant players for them. I thought, you know, Colby Jones made a couple big-time plays before the momentum shifted to uh, Marquette. You know, he hit the three, took the charge. I I thought at that point it was probably going to be curtains. But, you know, Sully Boom, who had a phenomenal game offensively, he also had some some tough errors down the stretch and gave Marquette the ball a few times, um, you know, that, that, that really hurt Xavier down the stretch. I, I think that, like, you know, Sean's teams generally don't turn the ball over that much to have 17 turnovers. I'm sure that's something that he's going to be uh, upset with, and they've got to figure out when they go on the road correcting that. But to me, Marquette was a little bit like, you know, Teddy KGB from Rounders, you know, hanging around, hanging around. <laughs> Never at one point did I think that Marquette was going to win that game until the end. I mean, I just felt like Xavier had it under control. But, uh, you know, you give those guys credit. I-, I love Kolek, man. I know he wasn't as instrumental tonight's win as, as he normally is. But, man, he I, I think he really – sets the tone for their team with his disposition.
2: Here's what's impressive about both of those teams, Chris and John is on any night, you don't know who it's going. Like it was not Cam Jones down the stretch tonight. It was David Joplin, you know, Stevie Mitchell with a big offensive rebound. And then Omax with the tip in. And everybody's thinking Cam. Same with Xavier. Like it could be Sule Boom tonight, or it could be Kobe Jones, or it could be Jack Nunji, or it could be Adam Kunkel. Like they have so many different guys, you can't key in on a Trace Jackson Davis, or you know just yeah. Look at their teams. It's like man, I don't know who it's going to be tonight. That's going to go for twenty, or or make the big shot or the big play down the stretch.
6: And I think that's you know exactly why they have two of the best offenses in the country is because you can't necessarily key on a guy. You know, like you said, great game plan for Northwestern tonight to double-trace Jackson Davis, but you you can't do that against a team like Xavier or Marquette. You have other guys that just have way too much skill and confidence to beat you.
5: Well, we were able to get the Golden Eagles head coach from the locker room after this big win for Marquette. They're 13-3, and and they now have a game-and-a-half lead in the Big East standings, 21-6. and six. On the year. Just an incredible ride. How has it happened for Shaka Smart in year two in Milwaukee? You will be intrigued to hear exactly what the ingredients to the formula have been. Here's that conversation. Cat 69, Xavier 68, we are joined by the head coach of the Golden Eagles. He is a National Coach of the Year candidate. It is Shaka Smart, whose team moves to 21 and 6 on the year at 13 and 3 in the Big East. Shaka, let's start with the final sequence of this game. Xavier, punch for punch. They get a bucket by Jack Nunji, and then a sequence in which you play it out, and Omax Prosper comes up the hero. Take us through that last sequence to find a way to win this game.
1: Well, Xavier deserves a ton of credit the way that they just continued to answer back and they, they just wouldn't go away. Uh, but our guys, you know, when they scored, you could kind of see in their eyes there was a determination to, to go attack. So, um, you know, uh, thankfully I did not call time out and, and just let them go. You know, it, it was not Cam's night from a scoring standpoint, but – You know, he gives us such an offensive confidence when he's in the game. And, you know, he he set up that play because he was able to get deep in the paint, get it up on the rim. And then I'm so proud and happy for Omax because um, it wasn't his best game. There were some plays that didn't go his way, but he just stayed connected with his teammates. He continued to attack. And then there he is making a game winning basket.
2: Coach Coach Smart, congrats on the win, man. I know how hard it is to win a game. And uh, obviously, I've seen you guys practice, watched you guys a ton. So l- love your team and and just as a connectivity when uh, being in the building with you guys at shoot around practice and watching you guys play. So T- talk about the decision because many people, you know, when you're in that seat, you, I've been there, you're in there not to call timeout in, in that moment. What goes through your mind? Uh, when you have that ball, you have that possession, and you have a timeout, and you know you you could use it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You know, how did do you play that out in your mind tonight?
1: I felt like we probably have a better crack at it if they weren't
2: necessarily
1: set. Um, you know, been in that situation before, and, you know, it's worked out well both ways. It's not worked out well both ways. So you never know for sure. Uh, It's easy for us in this day and age to uh, participate in what's called resulting, which is taking the result and saying that meant the process was good or bad. Uh, But our guys just went and made a good play. Uh, But I I felt confident that, you know, the ball was in Cam's hands. He could go and attack um, and we could make something good happen.
5: Shaka, when we talked back in January, one of the things that you thought about and talked about was the fact that you wanted to get better and better as the year goes on to reverse that script from year one and mark that. So can you take us a little bit through the last week? Because you had said that maybe you'll revisit some of the things that you talked about with your team at a fall retreat before the season. You fall to UConn since you've been able to respond. You responded with two wins, a great one tonight. Uh, have you revisited any of those points with your team about this home stretch?
1: We revisit it every day, John. I mean, we talk about that stuff every day. And, you know, by the way, I thought our guys really got better over the course of last year. We just we were not playing our best basketball, I would say, in late February and and during the month of March. And, um, you know, it's a grind when you get in this league and there's probably some fatigue that sets in at times. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can 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 get in the way. You just got to stay connected. I think the biggest thing we've talked about from day one with this team, and you mentioned our retreat, is relationships and pouring into each other and staying connected regardless of circumstances. And this group has done a great job of that. They've supported each other. They've been positive dominoes for each other. And a game like tonight, we did not have a good shooting game. Uh, We had some defensive mishaps that Xavier did a great job taking advantage of. We were down for the majority of the game, but our connectivity and our guys' belief in each other won us the game.
5: For the time, with that win, Marquette, 13-3 and in the Big East. They're in first place because now you've got Xavier, Providence, and Creighton all bunched together. At 11 and 4. We'll talk more about that, go around the country, and break down the latest storylines. A lot more to come here on the Field of 68 after Dark Sirius XM Channel 84. New All right, Dagan, what do we got?
4: We actually have an ad read from Rob, so congratulations. <laughs> to everybody. Here's what you get to watch for the next minute, 40 seconds.
3: Let me tell you guys about our sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 a few weeks back. When we get in the middle of college hoop season, it can be hard for me to eat and drink as healthy as I probably should be, especially in late February and March when the schedule gets really busy. But I found that I felt better as I've made AG1 a part of my daily routine. I take AG1 in the afternoons, after the coffee is worn off, and once the itis post lunch is kind of set in. And what I've found, my energy levels are up. It's improved my digestion, and as a result, I'm not only more efficient and productive in the most important time of the year for me and for the field of 68, but I'm working out more consistently. I just feel better. AG1 is so much more than just a greens powder. It's comprehensive health and the power of habit in one. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally could not be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of the AG1 formula with water, and I drink it every single afternoon. Done. Just like that. I also like that it only costs $3 a day. The price is right. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is the answer. They are giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Free! Just go to athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. That's athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. The link is in the description below. Check it out. Support the field of 68 and feel better about it.
5: Three, two, one. Kentucky expressed themselves tonight in a game that they had to have. The Wildcats took it 71 to 68 over Mississippi State. Welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark, presented by Bat River, Sirius XM College, Channel 84. John Fanta, Chris Mack, Laval Jordan with you on this fine Wednesday evening. So let's talk about this here, fellas. Let's talk about the Kentucky Wildcats. They are firmly, squarely, on the bubble. But tonight they got their second quadrant one win of the season. They go to Mississippi State, who's been tough. Chris Jans has done a nice job in year one. And Big Blue Nation wins 71 to 68 behind Oscar Sheepway's 18 and eleven. All right. I'm just going to ask you point blank. One, what'd you think about this game? Two, you still think Kentucky's going to make the NCAA tournament or not?
6: I do. You I want to take that back? I said that last week. You know why? I, I just I feel like they're playing better. I know they you know lost the other night, uh, but you know to me, they're playing better than they were a month ago. And you know to Val's point before, want to continue to play your, your your better basketball as the season goes on. And tonight's game for them, that's a hard game. Mississippi State is one of the best defensive teams in the SEC. They're at their place. It's going to be raucous. Kentucky's Achilles heel, according to so many people, is they can't score at times. C.J. Frederick's not playing. So now your shooting ability as a team being able to space the floor around Oscar isn't helped. And I thought they went in there and punked him. I thought they absolutely bullied Mississippi State around the basket on both ends of the floor. I thought that um, that's not easy to do. It's not easy to do and respond like that when everybody in the world continues to talk about you being on the bubble, not going to make the tournament. You know, players hear that noise, coaches hear that noise, to go in that environment and play the way they did, uh, again, without a, a floor spacer for them. Uh, that, that was a a big-time win for them, quad one win on the road.
2: Yeah, I agree with, with Chris in terms of um, their response. You know, you start, like I said, February, you 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 kind of know who you are. You're looking at as much as anything, John. Like, how do you respond? You you're gonna probably drop a game. You somebody may probably probably gonna have an injury or a guy out. And and how does everybody respond? For them, they drop two in a row, right? Arkansas, Georgia. Going to Mississippi State, toughest one of the toughest teams. They're known to Chris's point for punking people. That's how Jan's coaches are gonna be physical in your face. And they had 10 offensive rebounds in the second half. Yeah. Kentucky did. I thought Chris Livingston in the second half was big time. I mean, big time. They, you know, Mississippi State, I think, cut it to three and they go under a dribble handoff, and he just stops behind and knocks it in. And what I love, Chris, and, and I don't know, like when when February, it's like find a way, February. Just find a way to win.
6: And I think it was Chris Leving, Livingston, if I'm not mistaken, that scrambled down the offensive rebound towards the end of the game where yeah. they had to foul
2: him. And again, and they, then he they got made fouled it, made the two free throws. Two, two possession yeah. he, games. He was, he had zero points in the first half, John. And, and ended the game with 13. Like he was he was huge. But I, and what I love is just seeing guys' competitive nature, seeing them respond. And seeing the shot-making, like Chris said, they had to find some offense with no C.J. Frederick. And um, this time of year, man, you you just love to see. And I thought Mississippi State did the same. I mean, uh, what's the kid's name? Sheville Moore? I mean, Shaquille Moore? Moore, Yeah, Yeah. Man, he was like, wow. (laughs) Having not seen him a ton. I mean, that dude is a competitor. And and so it was just a competitive game. And there's a luxury. I don't know, Chris, if you've had – They inbounded the ball to Oscar Shebue for the for the game winning free throws down the stretch. They like the inbounds play was to just throw it up to him, let him catch it and get fouled, (laughs) and he went down there and made three out of four to win the game. Well,
6: the thing about guys are inbounding it to their big guy to win the game (laughs) to the foul line late. Not not many. The thing about Oscar though is you know he's gonna come down with the ball. Like there's no. V That's cut. True. There's no set of screen, roll back. It's like, all right, just throw it up and he's gonna like, <laughs> you know, take it up the space that he needs to catch the ball. But man, I, I don't know if I'd be throwing it to my center to be honest. That with was you. that was the play. Hey, uh, they had another one inbound when they had two seconds on the shot clock where, you know, he's coming off a stagger screen, shooting a three. I wasn't <laughs> so sure about that one either, but
2: but, but I agree, Chris. It, they're they're playing better. They got opportunities. Like I think they'll find a way to win. You know enough to get him in, um, you know, get CJ Frederick back, and, and I think that's like I said, Livingston was huge. That's big for his confidence to be able to deliver again in in, in another game here coming up, and so I like where where they're at right now, and just in terms of how they're how they're approaching things and how you see them respond.
5: Look, they get a, a road win against the Mississippi State team that, although they've struggled in SEC play, they had a really nice non conference season, and so the win has value. It's a quad one win. I agree with both. Of you. I think Kentucky's going to hear their name called, whether that's on a flight, not flight, a quick trip to Dayton, Ohio, uh, for the first four, or whether that's for a first round game. We'll see. Uh, they've got five games left here in the regular season. They're home to Tennessee on Saturday. There are games sometimes where if you win, you're in. The ticket just has that kind of value. If they somehow complete a season sweep of Tennessee, the committee's not leaving out the Kentucky Wildcats. But they've got Florida on the road, Auburn at home, Vanderbilt at home, Arkansas on the road. Not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination. But if they get two of those final four, they're, they're going to end up hearing their name called on Selection Sunday. As long as you avoid the you know, the four straight losses here, or four out of five, or then we're looking at the SEC tournament, the fact is they're going to get in. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this team. I will second what you both said. Without CJ Frederick, and if you told me at 6.30 tonight, Hayson Wallace is going to go one for 13 from the floor and 0 for 8 from 3, I would have (laughs) said. Like like the Magic Johnson head shaking? Nope, not going to happen. But Livingston stepped up. And, guys, when Jacob Toppin contributes, it seems like it swings them in an upward trajectory. Yes or no?
6: Yeah, I think he's a big confidence piece to their team. Made it that three right before the half, although Mississippi State matched it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, he's, um, he's a big part of that team playing with confidence when he does.
5: So... The cats go to 17 and nine. Briefly around the SEC. Otherwise, Texas A&M beats Arkansas 62 to 56. For Texas A&M, that's a huge win. They are very much on the bubble. They did not schedule well in their non-conference, but they are 19 and seven, and they're in second place in the SEC tonight. Wade Taylor the fourth goes for 18 points, four assists. A&M gets it done for win number 19. Florida beats Ole Miss 79. To 64, and as we said, Tennessee. Yes, folks. Tonight in college basketball, number one fell. Alabama was 12 and 0 in the SEC. They fall to Tennessee, 68 to 59. Certainly no shame in that. In Knoxville, the Volunteers so tough, and they guard so so well. Hey, after this, we're going to talk about a major story in the head coaching ranks with one particular former coach, and we'll talk about the circumstances of some off-the-court drama with him. Plus, we'll have final thoughts from Chris McLevel-Jordan on a wild Wednesday in college basketball. Do not go anywhere. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Sirius exam.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: Clear.
5: Mr. Hughes, Dr. Hughes, what do you have?
4: I am back. I am back. Uh, what conference gets the most teams into the Sweet 16 not named the Big 12?
5: Wow.
2: I'm going to go to the Big East. Good question. Huh. Sweet 16.
5: Sweet 16. So you're talking, you know, probably who's going to get three teams?
2: Two wins. I'm going to Big East. I might. Well, I might it makes sense. On that one, Creighton, Marquette, Xavier, yeah. Providence, all those teams can make it to the second weekend.
5: They all can. It's never happened. In the reconfigured Big East, we've never seen three teams make it. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about here, like Big Ten, not sure. I don't see it. I don't see three. You know, SEC. You know that Alabama's they're, they're going to make it. Um, Thirty seconds. Could, right? But then, like, I don't know. I don't trust Auburn. I, you know, I'll tell you what. Um, y- you wish the Pac-12 had any level of depth because you'd say UCLA and Arizona are going to be in the Sweet 16 potentially, but then there's just not. There's nothing after them. Maybe the ACC. There's my answer. Ten seconds. I think the ACC surprises us again. Hmm. I think Miami's really freaking good.
4: No question. Here we go. Three, two.
5: All right. It's the field of 68 after dark on a Wednesday night. John Fanta, Laval Jordan, Chris Mack. We are presented by Bet Rivers. We're going to get to a breaking story today in the world of college basketball prosecutors in texas said on wednesday that they plan to dismiss a domestic violence case against chris beard the former head coach of the university of texas men's basketball team after prosecutors reviewed evidence and also considered the wishes of his fiance if you don't know by now you've been living under a rock Beard, at the age of 49 arrested on december 12th in austin charged with assault on a member of the family, his fiance, He was suspended without pay that day. He was then fired by the University of Texas on January 5th. The Travis County District Attorney's Office said in a statement that after considering the wishes of Beard's fiance Randy True, who was involved in this altercation, prosecutors have determined that the felony offense cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So the office filed a motion to dismiss the case on Wednesday. So... Chris Mack, Jordan are with me. John Fancy here, Field of 68 after dark. Let's get your reaction to both, to all this news, of Chris Beard now having these charges dismissed. Dismissed. Chris, what's your take on this and what it means for Chris Beard going forward?
6: Well, for him, it certainly beats the alternative. You know, I think that... Um... I would have a tough time if I were administration hiring Chris. And that's just my personal belief. Um, you know, obviously the case didn't go forward. A big part of the reason it didn't go forward and not pursued was because she basically changed her story. If you read the police report, there was no alcohol involved that night, you know, so it's not like, um, Hey, completely forgot what I'd said. I mean, it was, pretty chilling if you read the report and so well i think a lot of people um and specifically chris as well probably deserve second chances at some point i'd be very hesitant if uh, i were the administration but uh, again i'm sure he'll be back in coaching i like chris um but at the same time that's that's sort of a tough position to put yourself in
2: yeah i you know there would probably be be some time for, with a battle for his, you know, for him to try to get, salvage some, some of the money. (laughs) Now that the charges are dropped, I don't, I don't know that, but um, from a coaching standpoint, you know, it's like, will he be able to take a job while he's in the middle of probably trying to fight a lawsuit to to get some of the money? I don't know. Um, But to what Chris said, I think, at some point Chris will be back in coaching. I don't know when. Um uh, and somebody will 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 probably give him an opportunity to just reshape his image and, and get back in at some point. I don't know if it's next year, but yeah, I think it happens. And uh, I think he, he'll probably be hungry to 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 do that. But I think the money might take precedence if he can find a way to I mean that was a that was a pretty big contract.
5: <laughs> Here's my take. On the Chris Beard saga, Chris Beard has coached in 335 college basketball games. He has won 237 of them. His record is 237 and 98. One, one night changed all of that. Put it all to an end. An athletic administration will have a hard time swallowing the pill and swallowing the bad PR, the bad press, all the negative comments, and everything in between that comes with eventually hiring someone like this. Unfortunately, or fortunately for Chris Beard, sports is not the real world. It's not always reality. There are larger than life figures who are able to go through the things that we just witnessed with Chris Beard, and they can live in the world of, yeah, the second chance does come true. In fact, for some, it's second, third, fourth chances, because again, sports is a fantasy land. And at the end of the day, there's going to be an athletic administration that values 237 and 98 over one. One night. That's just how the world works. It's how administrators who are pressured to win games and raise money. Because at the end of the day, there are several suits at an athletic institution that are sick and tired of losing. That they can turn their face and turn their eyes away from such an incident if it means that their team, that their school, that they're giving their hard-earned dollars to, is winning. There are other donors, there are other athletic administrations who wouldn't dare do this because its institutional beliefs would never once be sacrificed for something like this. If I was an athletic director, I wouldn't be hiring Chris Beard. But I'm not an athletic director, and I also don't fully even understand the nature of the job. But I know this. In college basketball and in all of sports, at the end of the day, you are judged by how much you win. is a nice term. is a nice term. All that stuff is great and grand. It doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to win games. And in a sport of this high profile, and in a world where he now is going to get that second chance, because legally it has occurred, Chris Beer will get another shot. It's not one that I would give but it's one that he will get
6: very eloquently stated, John. Thank you, coach. Very true. Thank
5: you. Uh, we have a couple of minutes final thoughts here on the night that's been, we've hit on a bunch of things. Lavelle, you had some thoughts, uh, on one Marquette beating Xavier. Wasn't that such a, a revealing conversation with Shaka Smart about how he's done it. Explain to the listeners, because they only got a segment of our conversation. How has Marquette's amazing season become reality?
2: Yeah, and Chris can attest to this. Like the thing that Shaka's done, you know, when you look across the rest of college basketball, um, and even Xavier, for instance, and Shaka talked about this, is he's done it with guys in his program. And just development, uh, which, which, you know, now in this transfer portal era, in this NIL era, you know, you look at, you know, Oso Iguodaro, his development. I mean, he is so much improved. You look at Cam Jones, who averaged six points a game last year, and now he's a potential first-team All-Big East player. You know, Omex Prosper, who came, transferred in from Clemson, who's played a year but wasn't a huge scorer. He's had a couple 30-point games. David Joplin, who committed to shock at Texas, you know, he, so he's taken the developmental approach and, and stuck with it with this group. And, and, and that's a, um, you know, it, it, it's no knock who, who are we to sit here and say, here's how you should, how you should, when you and Shaka said this, if you can get a really good player, Xavier added Sule boom, if you can add Sule boom in the transfer portal to what they already had, um, but he hasn't done it with a, a team full of transfers. He lost Justin Lewis to the NBA Daryl Marcel to the NBA, you know, those are big time pieces. Greg Elliott transfers. He's at Pitt and Pitts now, you know, maybe the best team in the ACC. Um, and he could have just filled in with some transfers, but he didn't. And uh credit to him and his staff for, for doing you know, just doing it that way, their way and believing, believing in their development and then their guys uh, versus, you know, going out and looking for, you know, the, a quick fix or supplement, you know, transfer guy. And, and it's just, not that he would be against it, and Shaka said that, but it's just kind of, you know, it's it's uh, refreshing how they've done it. Yeah, I mean, that piece that um,
6: was out there this morning, you know, talking about Shaka trying to add a transfer at the end of last year, and they were looking hard. They had their eyes on about three or four different guys. I don't even know what position, but, you know, somebody that could help their program for the coming year. And, and then all of a sudden the, the Nigel Pack news broke, of him going to Miami, and then a couple hours later, the uh, eight hundred thousand dollar in a car, two year deal. And Shaka said that you know the next four conversations he had with those four kids changed a whole lot. You know, there there <laughs> were a lot different conversations, and he just said to his staff, "I'm not. We're not going down this road." You know, and I think that. You know, they've got a transfer. I think the kid's out for the year from NAIA, I believe. Uh, and I and I don't think he's adverse to taking a transfer uh, because, you know, we all know as coaches, man, you need experience on the floor. But, I mean, to me right now, he's probably the Big East coach of the year in, in a hell of a conference in a hell of a, a year for the league. Uh, just what he was – you know, what he's been doing. Those guys picked ninth in the Big East and that right now with – few weeks left in the season they're standing first and again that they didn't restructure their entire roster really impressive
5: yeah it really is their final schedule here in the home stretch they're going to be at Creighton on Tuesday night of next week that's really going to be the biggest chance for somebody to pick them off and to make more of this race but after that it's DePaul at home at Butler and then St. John's at home so the Marquette Golden Eagles could go from being picked to finish ninth in the Big East to winning the conference regular season championship, that would be something, and certainly a breath of fresh air. Fanta, and, did you
6: have a vote on that? Is that is, was that just coaches, or was that media? Fanta,
5: I don't get a, I don't get a vote. We're out here in about twenty seconds for Chris Mack for LaValle, Jordan for taking Hughes. I'm John Fanta. Thanks for listening to After Dark. We'll see you tomorrow at eleven.
1: Nice, you're clear.
5: <laughs> it's time for the afters. We got a lot of, no, I don't vote. I don't get a vote. <laughs> and let me tell you both right now. All
6: right, where'd you have Marquette first?
5: <laughs> hey, here's here's a load of crap. I know a former Big East coach, and it's not either of you, who would, literally, who would literally get his schedule from the league office, and the first thing he was doing was pulling up his file of Villanova's schedule and comparing his school oh, schedule with theirs.
6: I bet, I bet. I bet.
5: I mean, let's face it, you know, and that's just it. I talk about the breath of fresh air. I was reading a column this morning uh, from somebody in in Omaha, a, a good writer, a guy named Tom Chattel. And he said, you know, this isn't Villanova dominating the Big East. And, you know, there's that theory in the NBA of like when the Warriors were dominating, was it good, was it bad, evil empire, that whole thing. Um, And he said, it's a good thing. He goes, it's different. You know, there's four teams vying for it. It's night to night. There's more interesting games. Like you, you were both a part of it. Um, When Villanova comes to town, everybody wants to beat them. But like, I'll be honest with you guys, covering it season and season and season out. Like I was kind of, it got to a point where Chris, one year you guys won the regular season title, but like it was getting to a point where it's like, yeah, you know, in late February, it's going to be Villanova. And you know, in the big East tournament, Villanova will probably be in the championship game.
6: It's just kind of who's the bridesmaid. Tell me about it. Tell me about <laughs>
2: it, man. Hey, yeah, Chris, you wish you would have got this year's Villanova on the schedule once, right? Yeah,
6: hey, I'm going to tell you, man. Like I, I, I as much <laughs> as you wanted to hate them and just like despise them, they they were just uh, they're too good, and they played they played so hard. They played the right way, you know. Like their walk ons clapped harder than yours. You know, it's just like. There's something about those dudes, man, and, and I'm sure the rest of the league right now is feeling a lot more comfortable and a lot better about when Villanova comes to town. Not that it's an easy W by any stretch of the imagination,
2: but it's a hell of a lot different. Yeah, hmm. we we didn't win warm-ups, nor did we, we didn't win. You know, we won a few of the games. We won but, a few. <laughs> we won a few of them, but... It was it was a me- you got to measure where you were right, Chris. It's like all right, we, we know you know where where our holes are once you play them. Um, I remember yeah, the one- I, I I love the 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 race. You know it's it's fun. You know just this year, it's like man, yeah. I think Cooley still has a chance in it to see Creighton resurge. Um, you know Kansas did that for all. You know it's like Kansas is right there again in the Big Twelve, and no one. Everybody thought they'd fall off. It's like when you have that dominant team program for so many years, I don't cover it. I just, it's a, it's a monster to go up against.
6: <laughs> well, you know, like they you, you get that grief from, from your fans. Like, you know, they can't beat Villanova. And I remember sitting there thinking in the locker room after one of the games, it was like, okay, you got Jalen Brunson, pro. You got Ryan uh pro. You got Mikhail Bridges, uh pro. You got what was it? What was the kid that transferred from Fordham? Uh oh, Pascal. Eric
5: Pascal. Pro.
6: No, they, they you one sucked more. against Villanova. You could yeah, never beat them. I was like, damn, man, put out some CBA or you know, G League <laughs> players against us for once.
2: Hey Chris, you love this. So Oof. we beat him. My first year. we beat him we beat him at home in Hinkle. We go to their place. We're at Villanova. We're up at halftime. Keelan Martin is bombing away. I remember that. And then Jay goes zone. He never goes zone. He goes zone. We can't make a (laughs) shot. And and Dante DiVincenzo goes for third. So we lose. There's another guy, pro. Pro. (laughs) So now they got Brunson, Bridges, DiVincenzo, Spellman, Pascal. I mean, so we get into the Big East tournament. We beat Seton Hall. We're playing them in the second game. So they're going to leave no doubt. They tip the ball. Jalen Brunson grabs it, fires it to Michael Bridges. He bangs in a three on the left wing and looks at me across the bench. Like, yeah, coach. It's going to be that kind of game. Three seconds without the clock, and they had three points (laughs) on the board. And it was, like, over. Yeah. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh.
5: Do you feel bad for Neptune? You know, just, I, and, and no, I say
0: that.
2: That Villanova. What are you talking nah, about? Man.
6: He was sitting on that bench too during that time. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just. It's a tough, it, it, man. Uh, it's tough a hard act to though. follow.
2: Like, name, I mean, shoot, name them that had to follow a, a Hall of Famer. You know, Mike Davis or who followed Dean Smith. You know, Kevin Olley followed Jim Calhoun and got it done. Like, that's a – it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, So, I give Kyle a lot of credit. And he hadn't had – you know, obviously, they're getting Justin Moore back. But, no, I feel bad now. He's the head coach of Villanova. Like, he's a good coach. I'll figure it out. And look at what – look at – what people should look at, Chris, look at Fordham this year. Right. Yes. Like, they're really good. And Kyle took over and and got it going in that direction. Yeah. And people should pay attention to that. Right, and they hired from within. They promoted one of his assistants to the head coach, but like he established what they were going to be about, and then and it's moving in that direction. Like people, need Villanova
6: to knows. I mean, that administration. You know, uh, Jay. They, they didn't. They didn't hire Kyle Neptune without knowing him. I mean, he was he he was involved intricately in everything they did for the last you know two national championships and beyond. So. You know, they they know who they're getting. You know, right now they're, they're not maybe as, as healthy or as talented as they've been in the last
2: few years, but uh, he'll be fine. He may not be Jay Wright. Do you worry, Chris, like momentum such a big thing, especially in recruiting, right? Like Yeah, it's, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, I don't
6: think Villanova is going to be that team that takes multiple transfers by any means. You know, it's a – uh it's a well, tough gonna academic to school. This
5: off season. Yeah, they're, they're going to, to have to take. They're going to have to take a
6: couple. But I don't see them. I guess what I mean is I don't see them being like Pitt, where it's like five new starters are coming, you know, from different universities. But I could be wrong. But that that's just sort of how I view Villanova. I don't see that being the case next year for them.
5: All right. Does Pete Gillen age Mac?
6: It's it's incredible. <laughs> when when I saw that picture today, like. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand. I played for him in 1992, but like, he looks the same. <laughs> it's like a freaking caricature, man. Like he he can't be real. <laughs> co- coach looks the exact same. And what would he yell at you? Oh, uh, he coach didn't yell. Like he 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 had those like the same one liners that he uses during games. The the quick quips that you have to sort of be ready for. Like you know, you're gonna miss it if you're not really paying attention to what he's saying. He said those same type of lines in in practice, you know, and so um, coach hasn't changed one bit. His mannerisms, his looks. I feel like he's still coaching at Xavier in 1988.
5: Yeah, I like that. Hey, uh, Jacob asks, and then Dagan, I'll get to your questions. Jacob keeps asking. I'll take this one. He says, do you think that with the soft bubble that Seton Hall gets into the NCAA tournament with a win in stores on Saturday? Be careful how how
4: both of you answer answer this now. You got two fires on the show.
5: Let me tell you something, Jacob. If they go into stores and beat UConn on Saturday, they're going to get a ticket to the big dance because that would be a sweep over Connecticut. And that would be an incredible road win. But let me be very frank. That's going to be an uphill battle at Campbell (laughs) Pavilion for a team that has a difficult. They just see, I think Shaheen has done a nice job of, they have overachieved in his first year to have 16 wins they they really struggle to score the ball and that becomes problematic for them against some of these top tier teams in the big east.
2: Yes it's hard when you can't you know if you if you struggle to score it it's it's tough and that's what you know, like as good as connecticut is like when they were struggling to find points you know people were playing off andre jack you know that's when they they went through the slump there and you see Rutgers now. You know, they're tremendous defensively, but
5: yeah, you know,
2: struggling to find some points, and they're down one of their best defenders. Uh, you know that uh, towards ACL, so they're they're gritty shots, got them playing hard, tough. It'll be, they'll be in it, but it'll be it'll be a tough one if they go in there and get it done, though. That'd be huge.
5: Hmm. Dagan, what else?
2: Uh, let's see. Brady wants to
4: know which team is not getting enough. Uh, Attention nationally. That's a good one. I have one in mind. If somebody wants to steal national it, attention, I I think it's Pitt, personally. Yeah. So you, what somebody
6: can steal that from me because
4: I don't I don't have a reason. I just think it's
6: Pitt. You know what? Yeah. I I would say Pitt, or I'd even say Miami. I know they won the game against Duke, like you know, yes, in I dramatic agree. fashion, just an ass kicking. But like to John, to your point. They're, they're terrific. Like they're really good and they got multiple guys that can score. Um, I really like their team, but you know, same, same with Pitt. You know, I think because the ACC in general, isn't what people usually think of the ACC, Carolina Duke, you know, sort of like come to mind, you know, Duke's not necessarily as good as they've been in the past. You know, obviously Coach K is not on the sideline. Carolina is certainly having a tough year uh, in terms of, you know, what people come to expect out of Carolina. Virginia's good, but I I think those two teams aren't necessarily the two teams you think of when you think ACC.
5: I actually am going to go to the Big Ten, and I think it's a team that's in action tomorrow night at Xfinity. Uh, They're going to host Purdue. I think it's Maryland. Um, I, I really like the way that they're playing here over the last couple of weeks. Jameer Young is playing the best basketball of his career, they defend at a pretty high level, and they're 23rd in Kempom, they're top 40 in offense and defense from an efficiency standpoint. Dante Scott is a bit of a matchup nightmare. Tough. I think there's something to be said here. I think Maryland. Takes down Purdue in College Park tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, I, I was gonna, I was gonna go in the Big Twelve for, with uh, TCU. Like, I think they're Mike Miles. You know, he's out. He's out, and that's a huge factor. Uh, just for the way that they play and how fast they play. So once he comes back, it it won't be like a Nick Smith thing because he's he's been with him. Right, it's not like they got to adjust to how he plays and how they play when he's in the lineup. Like they just need him back. And similar, great and get Ryan Calkbrenner back. Like it's a big difference when you get your guy back.
5: <laughs> Dagan, I do love your point about Pitt because for a team to be tied for first in the ACC, and for Jeff Capel to really uh, be the maestro behind one of the biggest turnarounds in college basketball, he should be in the race. I'm not saying that he's getting the honor, but he should be in the race when it comes to National Coach of the Year. He's absolutely the ACC Coach of the Year. There's no question about that. I mean, nobody had Pittsburgh <laughs> at 12-3 in the ACC. Also, they're 6-1. and one. They're 6-1 uh, on the road. In the ACC six and one away from home in their conference. Jamarius Burton is big time. He makes things happen for them. Blake Hinson had 21 last night against Boston college. Their balanced. Greg Elliott was a good transfer pickup for yeah. them. Um, like they've got some talented players and I do agree with what's being said about them. Like they, they really have not gotten a lot of awareness and I think it's because they're not Duke or Carolina. But if we were if Duke or Carolina was 12 and 3 in their league, we'd be talking them up like they could win the national championship. And we don't even mention Pitt. So you know what, give some love to the Panthers. The Oakland Zoo seems to be on the rise as well. They don't have great depth, but they've got a really nice starting five and they are a willing defensive team, and I think Nellie Cummings is a guy who really distributes the basketball well. Pittsburgh could win it could very well win a tournament game or two. I love Miami. Miami would be my final four dark horse. I think they could make it. They're that good. You said it, Mac. Like, They're Pac, good. Wong, Omir, Miller. Um, what's that?
6: Miller. Miller.
5: He's Miller's a bad big dude. Time.
6: He is a bad dude.
5: Yeah, he is a bad dude.
6: He's got some good footwork around the basket when he drives. End of, end of his drive. You know, most guys shot fake when they first catch the ball. He's really good at the end of his drive, getting the guy up, pivoting, pivoting, like laying it in. He's uh he's a tough matchup. When I found out he's six eight, that's going he's gonna be a problem.
2: It's like he plays a Villanova.
6: There you go. <laughs> Extra <laughs>
5: pivot. Hey, here's
2: the hilarious thing. Can we talk about the fact that Virginia's probably gonna win the ACC again?
5: <laughs> yeah, they don't get any love. I mean <laughs> yeah, they're very they're in the class too. Like uh they're they're in the, the class of well, they're boring, so we just choose not to speak about them. <laughs> we are we do here we do here but they don't tony is tony bennett like not one of the just you know it, it, maybe i'm wrong but is he not one of the good guys in this sport well
6: i mean, I mean they said that the, the question was like the most underrated I, I don't i don't feel like they're underrated maybe they're under you know under talked about but yeah
5: talked about yeah no, no, like,
2: they're not on the that doesn't answer the question it's just funny because like all the everybody talks about what's wrong with duke what's wrong, with Carol. Virginia, even when Duke and Carolina were good, best record, yeah, no question. They were they were beating them anyway. It's true. <laughs> yeah,
5: it's true. So yeah, give and give Virginia some love. I gotta tell you, I don't think the ACC is as bad as people think. I think that that league could still have multiple teams make the second weekend. But like along the lines of under under discussed, like like guys, Houston's twenty three and two. And they're probably going to be the number one team in the country on Monday because you know how these AP voters work. They they see Alabama lose a game, and Houston probably won't lose this week in the in the American. You know, I will be very interested to see how the talking points – this is so funny, is it not? Houston could have five Big 12 losses at this time next year, right? Because the Big 12 is right. the Big 12. I bet you we'll talk more about Houston next year when they're in the Big 12 than we do now when they're c-
6: going to be the number one team in the country. It's just hard, man, because you're, you're assuming they're winning every game by 25 or 30 points. <laughs> you know, when it's, when, when they play, you know, when they play a two lane and they win by 12 or they win by eight, you know, Oh wow. They, they had a scare. You know, they got veteran guards. I mean, they're so, you know, Kelvin's teams are so tough and nasty. Um, it's just hard, man. They're just, they're just going to run rough shot over that league like they have.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot of John, like from a talking step. I mean, you talk about these games, right? You got Marquette at, you know, at or Xavier at Marquette for the Cosmos championship on the line. Like, you kind of know who's going to win the league. <laughs> everybody know, even with Gonzaga, you look up now, it's like, man, St. Mary's. You know, they've always been good. They've always been right there. At least you you knew that game. Everybody paid attention to because. Yeah, you're not
6: getting good odds on your FanDuel futures if you go to Houston yeah. winning the you know American <laughs> Conference. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be minus 400 for you right there.
5: That might be a bargain.
2: Yeah, it might be. Is San Diego State? Are people talking about San Diego State enough? If you like, they people don't stay up late enough to watch the Mountain West play.
4: Really good.
2: They're, they're really good. good.
4: They're really good.
2: Yeah, and
4: you, you guys really took that question and ran with it. Let me tell you. I was, oh, you, it's guys, a great you guys question, gave me about, about 10 teams. I like that. I appreciate that.
5: No, it, it is. It's a great question. I mean, it, it is. I will say this. Like, I've been looking around at, at like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 lines here, and I've got, I've got to pull up our feeling the 68 crews.
4: What do you want to know, Faye? What do you want to know? I know I know Paul Hart. What do you want to know?
5: Well, Dinkin, <laughs> my point is you guys can jump in here too. Like, you know, Iowa, Arkansas, um, to a degree now, Rutgers, you know. um,
6: Michigan State.
5: Michigan State. Like, some of these teams, it's like, I really do not know what I'm getting from day to day. I have no freaking clue on the – like, 7 to 10 in the country right now, it's like, just throw the ball up. I mean, Arkansas has been hovering around our 9-10 line. Arkansas was ranked in the top 10 at one point this season. But if they're seated ninth or tenth, would you want to be the one seed or the two seed that has to face them? Then, like I don't, but you don't know what you're getting from night to night from a lot of these teams.
4: Here's one fancy I think you'll enjoy uh, on our current feeling the sixty-eight. Providence right now is a nine seed in our latest I ranking.
5: I mean, come on, that's I'm going to question our feeling the sixty-eight crew on that. That's not a nine seed. Did you watch them last night?
4: Well, this was on Monday, so before last night's game, but.
5: So they're probably up to an 8 They're now.
4: probably up to an 8, maybe a 7 after last night's game, yes.
5: Congratulations, you're a one seed. You get to play Ed Cooley in the second round. <laughs> and you know what he'll do? He'll step to the podium. He'll step to the podium. And he'll look around and he'll go, I know all of you don't give us a damn shot, but I'm the head coach at Providence College and we are still standing.
6: <laughs> That's what he'll do. 100%. Oh yeah, I'm gonna
4: I'm gonna segue into That's our next pretty good question. job. <laughs> I'm gonna segue us into our next question here with teams. Uh, not not many people are talking about next one. Uh, again, we didn't get to talk about tonight. Texas AM takes on Arkansas. Texas AM now 11 and two in the SEC. Right now they're sitting in our last four in. I'm feeling like the 68. Obviously that came out on Monday, so that'll change on Friday probably.
6: What are your guys' thoughts on, on the Aggies? I'm putting them in. I'm gonna have 85 teams in the tournament, but I'm putting the Aggies in. Like you say they're second in the SEC right now, right? Yep. Eleven and two. Whoa,
5: well, whoa. Well, the committee doesn't evaluate conference standing. That is,
6: that is true. They don't. They don't. I know they don't, but the out of those eleven, they've beaten some people, you know. And uh I don't know, but Buzz's guys, they're they're never afraid. You know, they 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 I thought they should have been in last year when they went like a buzzsaw through the SEC tournament until the end. Um, And I think they're a better team this year. So if his team continues to, like, improve and get better as the year rolls on here the last couple weeks of the season, uh, I think they'll be in.
5: Yeah, They'll
2: have their chance to play their way in. they got to go to Missouri, which Missouri's beat, you know, Kentucky – Alabama, they beat teams at home. They they got Tennessee,
6: but their are their, their their fan base isn't gonna be as fired up facing Texas A and M as they are when they face Tennessee or Kentucky at home.
2: No, but I'm saying for them to get like yeah, that's a tough that's a tough win. Yeah, for sure they got their chances to earn their way in. Like yep. you won't, you'll know by the end of it. They, and then they got Alabama at the end of the year at home, you know, for Senior Day. But so they'll 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 be able to play their way in or or not. Um, right now they got four quad one wins, like, and they've beaten some good teams. I, I saw them at DePaul when I, I called the game at DePaul, and I thought, you know, really good. Especially if they can find enough offense, but they play hard, and and Buzz's his teams are always going to do that. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they've got great opportunities in front of them. You know how some teams, John, they don't they just don't have enough on the schedule to kind of get themselves in there, like they, right. they're Like they 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 control their own destiny right now.
5: Right. Well, in our bracket projection Monday, uh, in the last four, and it was North Carolina, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, by the way, they got a win last night. They needed to get to that, and they did. Um, Texas A&M and New Mexico. I guarantee you, New Mexico won't be in our last four in on Friday because they got blown out by Wyoming last night, 70-56. to 56. Kentucky was in first four out. Dagan, I'm calling it now. They're going to put Kentucky in on Friday. Sorry to play a spoiler, but...
4: I think you're like, probably right there, Fanta.
5: <laughs> the 7-10 games in our bracket right now. I'm going to give you the 7-10, and you tell me you're going to buy one team. One team that could win the 7-10 game and then beat a two. Okay? Here they are. Duke Auburn is one game. It's actually a really interesting 7-10 game. Uh, Iowa-Pittsburgh. Missouri-West Virginia. Well, I'm here for that. That'd be Talk about pace and offense and big shots and Huggy Bear and Dennis Gates now at Missouri. And then Northwestern and Memphis. Interesting.
2: Sam, one of those.
5: You're just going to give me – yeah, give me one of those. I just gave you eight teams. Like, who, who they, are you up on?
2: Two? Missouri, West Virginia. Either the winner one of, of that game. Because their style of play in a one-day prep is not what you – just played against in the first game, right? Like, and you can't really, like, you're not going to be able to practice to get ready for it.
6: I'm going to go with Pitt. I just think those, I just think the way those guys are playing with a lot of confidence, Jeff always has his team playing like, like the mean kid on the block, you know, just talking shit, being physical. I'm going to go with Coach Capels, Pitt Panthers. So I could see what
5: Laval means with Missouri and West Virginia. And if Kobe Brown and DeAndre Golston are there, Missouri is going to be tough prep. You know, West Virginia has got Stevenson who can really get going for them and and a backcourt that can be lethal. I'm going to go bold here. Very rather bold prediction. Uh, But I do have a gut feeling. Remember how close they came last year? I have a gut feeling that Memphis could make the Sweet 16 this year, and it could be a surprise. But I do think that because of the league they're in, they also get harmed because they don't get as many national profile opportunities in their league. So when they were giving Gonzaga a game and we were all very surprised, maybe we shouldn't have been, but it was hard to know how good they really were. Right here's what I know about Memphis. I know that Kendrick Davis is an absolute stud. And you know that DeAndre Williams is 35 years old. (laughs) So I'm, I'm raising my hand. I would not be surprised if the Tigers were the, in the seven 10 game as a 10 and then are like down by two with three minutes to go against a two. And everyone's like, what is going on? It's like, yeah, they, do, they have a killer guard who could be an All-American in his best day, and they defend. Yep. And Penny gets his kids to play hard.
2: He does. Yeah, I agree.
4: Any that.
5: others, Dagan, before we head out?
4: Uh, no, I'll let you guys do to touch tonight, but Fanta, thank you for promoting Fielding the 68 every Monday, Friday, 5 p.m., right here on, on the YouTube channel. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe. It's good. It's
5: really uh, – uh, folks – I have nothing to do with the show. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm you know, we're obviously we're on the outlet every night. However, uh, I watch Feeling the Sixty Eight Mondays and Fridays at five Eastern time. I learn about the bracketology from these guys. They're really I Texted Dagan the other day, I'm like, Dagan, Dagan, how much how many hours do you think our panelists spend?
4: Well, I can tell days? you how many hours it takes me to compile all their stuff. So I can only imagine how long it takes them to do it on their own to make a bracket. So it takes me at least two, three hours to put together. So I can only imagine how long it takes them every game, every day they're updating. So yeah, they're they're our bracketologists.
5: Our bracketologists have gotten more done by 9am. than Goodman gets done all day in the duration of the
4: entire day. Well, most people get that done by 9am though. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Uh, Also one final thing before we do our toast that night. Uh chat, please hit the like button for me. Let's let's get hundred likes. Hit, hit the watching. like button. Hit for the like button sake. for us. Super easy. Nothing <laughs> nothing too difficult. All right, you guys can do your toasts and we'll uh we'll get
5: Toast of here. the night. Uh, Laval, toast somebody out there.
2: I'm I'm gonna keep it simple. Chris Collins. Yeah. And and the yes, Northwestern yeah. Wildcats. Just uh you know, fantastic week for their program. Yeah, uh, toast to the, the administration for hanging in there with Chris. They are in, you know, the tournament. They need a, They should build a statue <laughs> for Chris Con- Got <laughs> Never been until Chris got there as the coach, and they're going to go for the second time this year. But uh, to what Chris said, Max said earlier, just knowing himself, knowing what he needed, where they needed to improve with his staff. So, you know, kudos to those guys. Toast to, toast to the Northwestern Wildcats.
6: And that was an easy one, John. You should ask me first. You know, you put me on the spot. You know, Val got the <laughs> –
2: I took the sometimes you just gotta, you know, I took the blatant play, one right there. Sometimes you gotta you gotta play the hits, man. Sometimes you gotta play the Sorry, hits.
6: Sorry, that's that's not how it goes. You're up. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna toast uh Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers for a hell of an effort, missing a couple guys on their team. Take down the number one team in the country, Thompson Bowling Arena. Here's to the volunteers. I don't have any more in my cup, but <laughs>
5: I'm going to toast a guy who averages just over six points per game. And this is a guy that every time I've seen in practice, his motor is endless. He makes winning plays. He defends. He's scrappy. I like him on my team. He's a nice person as well. And that matters. Stevie Mitchell of Marquette tonight on a night where on a night where Cam Jones was not shooting the ball. Well, Marquette, that's one thing with Marquette. If Jones isn't making shots, how do they figure it out? Stevie Mitchell had 17 points in this game. Comes up big, 6 of 11 from the floor. And he ended up being the leading scorer in this 69-68 win over Xavier. Stevie Mitchell's a really good teammate. And uh, the pride of writing PA. He makes things happen. He gets deflections. He hustles his tail off. And you know what? Uh, Five-star forum to that crowd as well. Cheers to you because – you folks are enjoying something that you haven't enjoyed in a while. And that is a potential regular season conference champion. We might see a wild scene in Milwaukee, you know, court storming type of stuff. If when, whenever, if they do clinch that regular season championship, that's uh that's, that's something crazy in Shaka Smart's second year there in Milwaukee. It really is. He didn't think it was crazy. His players didn't think it was crazy, but let's face it. Nobody in their mind thought Marquette Biggie's best at the start of the season and plays like Mitchell have made it that for them thus far. All right. You guys going to bed now?
6: Pretty shortly. I got, got to drop off my kid in the morning at school, John. <laughs> what you time know? do you do that? Uh, I usually leave the house around seven 15, seven 20. Oh,
5: do you, you get a coffee in the drive-thru?
6: No, I actually get up early and make it here. Oh, you're economically drive. The drive throughs way out of the way. It, it caused me to get up even
2: earlier.
5: What do you do in the morning?
2: Same. Seven o'clock, heading to the heading to the drop off. I'm making coffee at home, John.
5: See, I'm in pre-kids mode here. <laughs> Dagan, I will be a bear at seven AM. You
4: you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm off limits until at least ten.
5: <laughs> right. Dagan knows, Dagan, you know this about me too. You've worked long enough with me. No morning conversation. Yeah,
4: absolutely not. I'll see all. I'll see all, all, all folks. You should not, have been here with morning. me this
1: morning.
2: What's that? Uh, you should have been here with me this morning. I was at five 30, a uh, hot, hot yoga before I had to come back and do the drop off. You should have, <laughs> you could have come tagged along. You're a machine.
5: <laughs> Are you coming to New York in a couple weeks?
2: No, no, I'm not. I'm not big time, but I, that's for the big timers. We'll talk.
5: Well, I, I, we'll catch up tomorrow. I'll catch up with you tomorrow.
2: Uh, Coach, Matt, Matt, what are you just... doing with your time, man? Like, what's just... that? You're looking so, at it, Matt, does... You're
6: looking at it. Are we off the air? We are not off the air.
5: <laughs> we are very much we on are the air. Very
6: much on the air.
5: <laughs> so long, everybody.
4: Thanks. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming.